We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. is going on everybody welcome to striking gold your 49ers podcast on the blue wire network my name is rob louder i cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other end of the speaker and how the hell is everybody and i use hell very purposefully because if there was one way to describe fresno california right now it would it would probably be that word because I mean, we just got through some 110, 112 degree days. I'm looking at the weather app on the old iPhone, 104, 108, 111, 108, 103, 102, 102, 100, 101, 101. So we are uh, safe to say the air conditioning bill is not going to be so friendly this month. But I bitch about it every year, and yet here I remain. Now, that's an easy answer. My family's here. Everybody's here. I wouldn't be huge on just picking up and leaving, you know, and, and making it to where I only saw my family once or twice a year. But I still feel like it's almost like a rite of passage to just bitch about the heat if you're from the Central Valley. It, it is just downright oppressive. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, I like to think that keeping the house at 78 is actually pretty warm. I live in a pretty standard three-bedroom, two-bath Pretty standard track home-ish. And even to keep this thing, this place at 78, that air conditioning has been working overtime. It's intense. It's uh, it's hot. Anyways, I'm not going to bore you with that too much. But I'm just letting you know that it is hot as hell in the Louder household. It's hot as hell in the Central Valley. If you're along the Bay Area, I know that it's expensive as hell to work there. To work there. To live there. But... At least enjoy the cooler weather. I even looked like the great thing about the Central Valley slash Fresno is you're usually, let's say, two and a half hours, which is a reasonable drive from anything you want to get to, whether it be lakes, snow, beautiful camping, the ocean, you know, any type of climate you could want is usually not that far away. And I even looked up, like, okay, what's Shaver Lake looking like? What's Millerton Lake looking front? Like, okay, a little higher up at Bass Lake. Um, and even that stuff was just under a hundred degrees. So it was it was everything was hot. There was there was nowhere to go unless I wanted to uh wanted to go to the coast. So it's crazy out here. We've started the practice of I guess it's solved now. Um we we were trying to discover which room was the coolest room in the house and Positively, it's what will be uh, the baby's room, which is great. I mean, it's good to know that the baby will be somewhat insulated from this insane Fresno heat as he sleeps. But, you know, I mean, that's only a slight reprieve 
we're talking about maybe one or two degrees cooler. It's like going from something hot to something that's still hot. But anyways, speaking of hot, I, I guess uh, Oppenheimer's the word right now. Um, is anybody out there planning on seeing the old Oppenheimer? It looks insane. It looks great. It looks intense. Uh, I mean, it's probably not going to be the most uplifting movie. You know, I mean, the situation surrounding having to basically create a, a, ma- a you know, a device of mass destruction. And just because, you know, everybody else was trying to create the same thing has got to be uh, pretty pretty terrible journey but i'm a big killian murphy guy who plays oppenheimer looks just like him i mean the the cast is like star studded you've got killian murphy emily blunt matt damon robert downey jr um florence Pugh. uh did i forget anybody i don't think so and then there's some sprinkles it says gary oldman's in it gary oldman's in this movie dude i love gary oldman josh hartnett let's go Rami Malek, the uh, the guy that played um, Freddie Mercury, and he's done many other things. So star studded. I'm, I'm really excited to to see it. Um, but anyways, like I said, Killian Murphy. If you have not seen Peaky Blinders, you need to see Peaky Blinders on Netflix. Absolutely amazing show. I understand the name is silly, but it's the name of their 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 gang. So. The show is not silly, but if you haven't seen Peaky Blinders, I highly recommend it. I believe there's six seasons, um, and they're supposed to make a movie as well, which is exciting. So if you haven't checked out Peaky Blinders, please do. If you're a Peaky Blinder fan, let me know about it. I, I love it. I just It's a great show. I've seen it all the way through twice. The acting is phenomenal. Storytelling is phenomenal. Great show. Great show. Not like, I mean, I guess I, I always like try to offer a warning like, well, it's not that uplifting, but like what show out there is uplifting? It seems like all the best shows are just pretty constantly like downers, like The Last of Us, pretty much a downer the entire time, you know, and that kind of relates to Walking Dead, pretty much a downer the entire time. Game of Thrones had its moments, but for the most part, kind of just a show about a massive downward spiral until they finally, you know, has a decent ending. Every show, I mean, think about it. Every show you're into, for the most part, revolves around drama and bad shit happening. It's like, damn, it's like a downward spiral we can't get out of. So let's get into, rather than falling down that downward spiral, let's get into, uh, let's get into the 49ers. We... Uh, last week's pod was breaking down the group of wide receivers. And I thought that was an interesting conversation. I hope you guys thought it was an interesting conversation. I appreciate everybody who hit me up on Twitter to congratulate me about um, um, our baby um, and, and being pregnant. And, you know, obviously that's an unpredictable journey and hopefully everything goes great. But so far, so good. Heard the baby's heartbeat again recently and uh, nice and healthy. So we'll see. But we talked about wide receivers and just kind of how every wide receiver on the 49ers roster, it's a big year for him. You think about it. Debo Samuel's making a lot of money. He needs to come back strong. Brandon Ayuk, not making a lot of money yet, but maybe trying to convince either the NFL to pay him a lot of money or the 49ers to say, look, we need to find a way to fit this guy in because we can't let him go. That's that's my opinion. You know, and then you've got everybody else going down the roster that's either it's either struggling to stay on the roster or struggling to earn a spot. So it's an interesting year for the receivers. So let's jump into the tight ends, which, you know, obviously is essentially George Kittle and everybody else. And it's kind of been that way for a while. You think about the rotation happening behind George Kittle. It's always been kind of this 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 constant struggle to find somebody that can have an impact outside of of Kittle and it just hasn't really happened you can talk about Kittle you can have an entire podcast about just George Kittle and the way he is and the way he plays and the fact that he has just established himself as the and I'm not I'm going to say absolute but 
essentially, it's almost like if you made me pick one or two guys that I feel like the 49ers can't really live without on offense, George Kittle's one of them. I kind of bounce around the other ones. I think Christian McCaffrey has established himself as like he might be that guy now that we see how good this offense was with him. Um, before their super during their Super Bowl run, it was Debo Samuel. I'm not entirely sure that's the case anymore. No disrespect intended. It just you know, it, it, the offense has continued to evolve, and I'm not sure it quite leans on Debo how it had to that one year. Um, you know, and I you guys have heard me rail on and on about how good Brandon Ayuk is, but I think George Kittle is more important to that equation than than Ayuk might be. You know, it's just hard to describe. He's just, he's a guy that everything sparks off of him. The 49ers run game is boosted by Kittle significantly. We've seen statistics about how good the run game is with him and how good it isn't without him. Um, You know, and having a guy like that, that is, that you have to respect every part of his game, whether it's a run blocker and what he's about to do in the run game or what it, whether he's about to do what he's about to do in the past game as a defense, you don't know what he's about to do, and you have to respect both. He might be ready to open up a massive hole in the second level for you know at any at any given time, or he might be getting ready to move into the second level to break off into a route and catch a massive pass. You know what I mean? Like he could be going at a linebacker to take him out, or he could be going at a linebacker to you know, break in any given direction and take it into a route. Now, any good player is going to try and combine those two things to gain advantages, to play mental gymnastics with the defense. And it's just, it, it can't be overstated how well-rounded Kittle is. Sure, I think Travis Kelsey's kind of earned a certain place above Kittle, but there's just no replacing or maybe replicating a guy that plays the game how George Kittle plays the game. It's it's hard to describe. He is a football player through and through. Now, when you look at 2018, where he broke the record for the most receiving yards ever by a tight end, which was later broken by Kelsey, he had 86 catch, 88 catches on 136 targets for 1,377 yards, only five touchdowns, which is, no, it's not bad by any means. Added another one on the ground. No, excuse me, that's a first down. The very next season, he had 1,000 yards on 85 catches. So it was only three less catches, but he had 300 less yards. And I think that, you know, and then you transition into uh, the following 2020, where he only played eight games, dealing with injuries. 634 yards. Started ramping up, 2021. Uh, 71 catches for 910 yards. And really, when you look at 2020, which was a down year for him, but even before that, in George Kittle's first four years in the NFL, he only had 12 touchdowns, so about an average of four a year. But then when you look at 2021 and 2022, he in those two years, he had 17 touchdowns. And I remember me and Crocker used to talk about the fact that you're like, I love Kittle's game. Obviously, he's an elite tight end, but I would love to be able to see him just start bullying people in the pass game, going up and getting it, catching it over their heads, pushing them out of the way, boxing people out, and just making a more of an impact in the red zone. And over the last two seasons, we've started to see Kittle's game evolve in that way. I mean, just last year, he scored 11 touchdowns. I mean, that's that's massive. That's absolutely massive, especially for a tight end. And it was this weird, not weird, but you can tell his role in the offense grew and changed when Brock Purdy stepped into the fold. Brock Purdy was... One targeting Kittle a lot more often. I'm going to go to game logs here of last season. I just want to see how this uh, how this stacks up to how the targets evolved 
throughout the season. I probably should have already had this up, but I kind of just thought of it as I was talking to you. So targets. Um, cause we, you know, obviously we went from the, from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy and something changed when we went from Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to see if it was just an eye thing. Uh, I'm looking at all his games. I mean, going backwards through the season, you've got six targets, eight, eight, five, five, three, four, six, two, five. First two games, Jimmy Garoppolo, first two or three games, Jimmy Garoppolo came in. George Kittle had six, 10, and nine targets. Then he kind of went five, two, six, four. And then when did, and then Purdy stepped in in Miami. Then Kittle went three, five, five, eight, eight, six. So the, the, the targets started to ramp up. His role in the offense started to change. And as far as touchdown goes, maybe that's a better indicator here. I mean, yeah. Okay, here we go. We'll start in the beginning of last season for George Kittle. Touchdowns, zero, 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 one, one, zero, two against Arizona, zero, zero, zero. And more right around, you know, a couple games after Brock Purdy came in, two, 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 one, two. So you can see Kittle's evolution from being an, you know, essentially a move the chains, a receiver to being an absolute red zone threat. And that is probably the type of Kittle's game that's going to be more prevalent moving forward. It's certainly more sustainable because, you know, going back to his earlier seasons, 88 catches, 85 catches, over 1,000 yards, that stuff will break down your career fast. 136 targets, 107 targets. That's 250 targets in two seasons and almost 170 catches. Like that stuff is, I mean, obviously it's, it's production that any tight end would dream for, but we both, we all know by the way Kittle plays the game that that is not sustainable. And that's probably why the very next season after he had 250 targets, he only played eight games and he gets hurt a lot. And that's not even really an injury prone type comment. That's more of a, George Kittle plays this game like an absolute maniac and he's going to get hurt. And when he's a guy that plays like 99% of the snaps, it's just what he's going to have to deal with. But I feel like that evolution as more of a scorer than he is a chain mover is good for the offense. And I feel like it's good for him and his longevity. George Kittle's already been in the NFL for six years. He's going on year number seven. So it's cool to see that evolution take place. I like red zone Kittle. I feel like this 49ers offense needs red zone Kittle more than any other Kittle. Um, I, 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 let, me, let me back that up. In terms of the pass game, I feel like the 49ers need a red zone Kittle more than they mean need like a move the chains Kittle. That makes sense. They've got Ayuk. They've got Debo. They've got McCaffrey. Give me that big ass dude in the red zone that is just tough to cover even when you're standing right next to him. So it's a fun evolution for Kittle. And, you know, everything I've said right now has nothing to do with the fact that he's like a glue guy. He's the heart and soul of the team. We've seen how he acts on the sideline. We've seen, you know, he's just, he's absolutely everything you would want in a football player. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. I have a guy on my middle school team right now uh, and obviously there's a lot separating a professional football player at a middle school that it plays the game a lot like George Kittle. And I'm super excited. He's bigger than pretty much everybody on the field, you know, in like the 90th percentile, as far as size goes, every rep he runs is full out. He loves contact. Um, Kittle's probably got a little bit better hands, but that's something that's always improving in middle school because their hands haven't grown to quite grasp onto the football, but I'm excited for him. So shout out to Jack. I think that he can be uh, like our, our George Kittle this year. So I'm excited to give him a shot uh, at what he can do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Um, then you've got everything behind Kittle, which, I mean, when it comes to Ross Dwelly, Charlie Warner, Troy Fumagalli, like uh, there's just not a whole lot there that I really even want to talk about. Charlie Warner has come in, done okay. He's a inconspicuous tight end too, has made some catches, has had some bad drops. And it's just Ross Dwelly had his moments, you know, when Kittle went down, Dwelly actually played pretty well and, and, and seemed like, okay, maybe they've got somebody that can be a force when Kittle's not on the field. And then, well, Kittle came back and that kind of went away. So now again, I don't want to necessarily be, I can't hold every tight end up to George Kittle standard standard one. And when Kittle's on the field, you would have to be a pretty damn good tight end to demand targets in addition to him on this offense. So think about what a tight end two has to do in the 49ers offense if he wants to catch the ball. Okay, you've got to be a more preferred target than George Kittle himself. You've got to be a more preferred target than Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, even third and Juwan, Juwan Jennings. So it's like the fact that the 49ers haven't really placed an importance on a tight end two in this offense isn't necessarily an indictment in Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly and Troy Fumagalli, but I would, I personally would like to see the 49ers go with their, their two rookies this year, just to see what they can get. Now, if there's something I don't know about Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly and their impact, um, you know, whether it be on special teams or in the blocking game, I mean, I know when I mentioned backup tight ends and blocking, I know what you guys are all thinking. I'm not even going to go down that road. We don't need to relive that. But I don't think that Dwelly, Fumagalli, or Warner offer anything to the point that should keep the 49ers from exploring the two tight ends that they drafted this year in Alabama's Cameron Latou and Oklahoma's Braden Willis. And they're two very different tight ends that I think are going to offer the 49ers something a little different. Now, that's not saying anything tremendous. Like, cool, Rob, there are two different tight ends that are going to offer the 49ers something different. I feel like there were two different types of swings when it comes to draft picks. Okay, let me get out of – I'm just clicking out of – I whenever I record a podcast, I open up all these tabs of everything I'm going to need. And so once I kind of get done covering a target, I like to click out of the tabs so my tabs widen out a little bit, a little easier to see. Y'all know what I'm saying. 
Cameron Latou out of Alabama, the 49ers selected him in the back of the third round. Um, didn't do a whole lot for his first three years at Alabama. Um, red shirt freshman and then sophomore year. So two freshman years, a sophomore year, not much of anything. Really nothing. That's a better way of saying it. Bunch of zeros. And then as a junior, he started getting on the field, played in 14 games, had 26 uh, catches for 410 yards and eight touchdowns. Eight touchdowns on an Alabama offense is nothing to shy about. And then as he, he almost took a step back as a senior, not necessarily in the way he played the game or how good he was, but he had more catches for a little bit less yards, 377 and four touchdowns. Averaged a little bit less per catch, had less touchdowns, had less yards. Um, but I watched a little bit of, or not, you know, a lot of bit of Cameron Latou. I like, I'm somewhere in the middle with how he plays. You know, he's a little stiff, but he does enough. You know, he's a decent blocker, but at the same time, that's something that can be improved, especially when you step into a locker room with George Kittle. It's, it's like he doesn't do anything great, but it's almost like he doesn't do anything bad. So I'm trying to decide if he's a safe pick or if he's somebody that can develop to be an impact player opposite Kittle. I'm not quite sure we're there. I mean, he's got great size, 6'4", 250 pounds, 6'5"-ish. He's right around the same size size as George Kittle. Um, I wish I would have looked at it. Did he do the combine? I'm looking at NFL.com's combine numbers. They used to have them like laid out perfectly and all great, and they look great, but now they don't really do them anymore uh, like that. Just seems like a guy that can be solid, a safer pick. Here's what I think, though. I think the 49ers had a lot, had had pretty solid plans to draft a tight end in the third round. I don't think they were planning on the massive amount of tight ends that would go off the board before they got to their pick. And when you look at tight ends drafted in this year's draft, Dalton Kincaid was the only tight end that went in round one, pick 25. Then you got Sam Laporta, pick 34 in the second round. Uh, Michael Mayer, almost Michael Myers, <laughs> pick 35. Luke Musgrave, Oregon State, pick 42. Luke Schoonmaker, um, Michigan, pick 58. Brenton Strange, Penn State, pick 61. Tucker Craft, South Dakota, pick 78. Darnell Washington, Georgia, pick 93. And then the 49ers finally got to Cameron Latou at pick 101. I think the 49ers kind of put themselves in a position where they had they felt like they had to take a tight end. Everything I'd seen on Cameron Latou at that point said that was a big time reach. But again, that really doesn't matter. It's what Latou does going forward that will define whatever that pick was. If he's good, no one cares. But it did seem like the 49ers might have been a little surprised by how many tight end eight tight ends were selected before the 49ers finally got to their pick at the end of the third round. So what was crazy about that is only one tight end wasn't picked in the first round. So between the second and third round, seven tight ends went off the board, and the 49ers were like, damn, well, I guess we can take this one. It kind of felt like that. And maybe that's a little bit of a slight to Cameron Latou, but again, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We'll see what he does going from here. He's got decent strength, decent size. I like the fact that he catches the ball out away from his body. He's got confidence in his hands. It just seems like he's going to need to get a little bit better at everything. He's not a guy that's going to shake you in space. He's not a guy that's going to break a lot of tackles. But he he's solid. He's solid. I can see him getting a lot better in the pros and taking his skills that provide a pretty solid floor and just refining them and getting himself in a position where he can be a playmaker. And both of these tight ends, I assume, are going to have to be a solid contributors on special teams if they want to play a role, um, a decent role in this offense early on. You know, I, I, I like Cameron Latou. 
I'll be interested to see if he can, you know, a third round pick to me, they're somewhere in the middle. Can we expect them to make an immediate impact? A little bit. Do they always make an immediate impact? No. You know, especially when on a roster of the 49ers where he's going to have to eclipse every other experienced tight end on the roster in Ross Dwelly, Troy Fumagalli, and Charlie Warner. He's going to have to eclipse those guys. He's going to have to earn a roster spot in front of those guys. And then he's going to have to improve enough to be considered a viable option on an offense that's absolutely stacked with talent. So whenever you're talking about impact as a tight end too, just keep in mind what's going on around them because that's tough to, to, to find a way to earn a spot on this offense. It's tough. Right next to Cameron Latou, you've got Oklahoma's Braden Willis, who I said Latou was more of a safe pick, more of somebody who you kind of know exactly what you're getting. With Braden Willis, it's a little different. He seems a little bit more of a, he's not as big. He's six, three and a half, 240 pounds, um, kind of more of a tight end wide receiver combination. Obviously would be a massive wide receiver. He's definitely a tight end, but a little, it made some of those catches where you're like, huh, that is interesting. Some kind of freak athlete stuff. Some catches uh, near the goal line, some fade catches at the corner of the end zone, some contested catches over the middle. Um, he just seems like he has a little bit of that huh, to him. Like, he's an athlete. He's an athlete. Um, decent blocker. Not really his his strength. But, and maybe that has a little bit to do with his size, but I'm just a little interested to see what he can do a little bit better after the catch, a little bit shiftier, a little bit wigglier, a little bit, you know, a better of a runner than Latou has a little bit more of that pass catching prowess. Doesn't seem scared to do anything. Has a little bit of attitude. Seems like somebody that again, if the 49ers are going to pick you in the seventh round, you have to have something that they like a lot. I would be willing to bet the 49ers liked Braden Willis's athletic upside as a tight end. Can he be a move tight end in our offense and make some freaky plays like he did quite a bit? He wasn't necessarily a massive part of Oklahoma's offense, but as a senior, 39 catches, 514 yards, 13.2 yards a catch, and seven touchdowns. Uh, Far and away his best year in college. Had a little bit of production every year, so he's experienced but he's not overworked by any means and finished with his best year. I think the 49ers are probably looking at him like, all right, so didn't get much of an opportunity throughout his first four years in college. You're talking about one catch, 11 catches, nine catches, 15 catches. Even in 11 catches, he managed three touchdowns. So I think the 49ers are looking at Braden Willis, say, look, seventh round pick, there's got to be some individual element of his game that we really love. He's an athlete. I've seen these freaky plays he makes. Let's give it a shot. And so Braden Willis making the roster, I think would be um, not a surprise, but that would definitely be a huge accomplishment for him given where he was picked. Seventh round picks don't make these types of rosters very often. And just because he's a draft pick does not mean that he's guaranteed a roster spot. It was that way when Kyle and John first took over. It's not that way anymore. But Braden Willis is an interesting player who I could see surprising some people and earning a roster spot, but he's going to have to show out in camp. He's going to have to show that that athleticism can take him into the pros. And, you know, just think about it. When the 49ers get in the red zone, when they're inside the 20-yard line, they've got targets. I've said it already, but just think about it in terms of uh, we want to score. Who are we going to throw it to? Do we want to throw it to Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, McCaffrey, or Willis, or Latou? Like it, that is a, a very high bar to shoot for. So I think that the 49ers are betting on Willis's athleticism. May surprise some folks, and maybe he can earn a spot. He's going to have to be an animal on special teams either way. We'll see. We'll see. I like it. I, I like it. You, whether you want to watch Braden Willis highlights, I don't care. Look for those plays that where he just looks like 
Like, damn, that was a great catch. Like, man, he really laid out for that. Man, that was full extension. You know, made that guy miss. Okay. You know, he does some stuff where you're like, okay, maybe we can, maybe we can work with this. So 49ers tied in position is just, you've got George Kittle. You've got three veterans that maybe, maybe one of Dwelly, Fumagalli, or Warner stay. Do the 49ers keep four tight ends? I think that's a huge thing. They've gone with three in the past. May, you know, you've got Juszczyk, who they kind of consider one tight end. He can do everything a tight end can do, and he's a factor in the pass game. And he's somebody I probably should have been mentioning as somebody that these tight ends need to earn targets over. So, I mean, you're looking at a position group that might keep three, probably will keep four. Are the two rookies going to be able to do enough to earn a spot onto that roster? Latou was a third-round pick, but, man, I still, I, there's still a part of me that feels like he needs to earn that spot. So it, it's an interesting conversation, no doubt. There's, there's, but the, the, the steepness of earning a spot, not just on this roster, but earning an impact on this roster, especially at that tight end position, just seems so difficult. So difficult. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk offensive line. And I feel like the conversation around the offensive line is... It's interesting. It's, um, it's a little more positive than it was last year. Because last year we were looking at this line and you've got Trent Williams, the absolute best football player in the NFL, in my opinion. Y'all have heard me talk about Trent Williams. My favorite analogy for Trent Williams is, you know, when you think about stories in the Bible like um, David and Goliath, was Goliath an actual giant? No, probably not. Probably not. But he was probably a guy that was about as big as Trent Williams. <laughs> and and to any average man, especially when people were a lot smaller back in the day, that is a giant. Trent Williams is a is a is a giant. And if you had a human hand to hand combat NFL player battle royale, y'all know what battle royale is: survival to the last man. Take any NFL stadium, put every NFL player in it, and make them fight each other in hand to hand combat. And the last one standing wins. I think the last one standing is Trent Williams. That's my favorite way to describe him. He just is an absolute freak, a true silverback gorilla among men, just an absolute beast. It's it's just unbelievable. Probably the greatest trade of 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 the 49ers in a long time. I mean, damn. So you've got Trent Williams. You've got um, next to him. You've got Aaron Banks. You've got center Jake Brendel. You've got right guard Spencer Burford. And then you've got right tackle, projected right tackle, Colton McKivitz. That seems like a lock. Four out of the five of those players were on the offensive line last year. Continuity is key for an offensive line. They're more... It's, it's tough to say this. Obviously, it matters if an offensive lineman is good and does his own job. But you're kind of like a unit that does everything together. And as a unit, the 49ers offensive line was pretty solid last year. It was a lot better than any of us thought it was going to be. Aaron Banks stepped up. Playing next to Trent Williams has got to help. Jake Brendel, kind of a journeyman, went from many teams, stepped into the center role to all of our, not to stain, but like, damn, what's this going to look like? Did okay. And earned himself a long-term deal. Spencer Burford, a rookie, fourth-round pick. Now, he was rotating in with Daniel Brunskill, who we've, who we've grown to know and love, um, has since moved on to another team. I don't, what if I just, has since moved on? It sounds like you're saying he died. So I'm glad I added on another team. Me, none of Aaron Bakes, Jake Brendel, or Spencer Burford were great last year. But together, they did okay. Pro Football Focus has this version of the 49ers offensive line ranked 11th in the NFL. So average would be 15, uh, you know, 16. 49ers are a little below that. But it says they're down 11 spots from where they were the last time they ranked them, which seems weird to me. The only thing that switched 
was Mike McGlinchey for Colton McKivitz. And that drops you 11 spots. I'm not sure that's, you know, maybe they think other offensive lines got better, but I think that's a bit harsh. I think the 49ers are probably closer to 10, 11, 12 than they are 18, 19, 20. But that's, you know, ticky tacky. Says right here in Pro Football Focus that the 49ers had the fifth ranked pass blocking efficiency in 2022. So that's a good start. When you look at them individually, other than Trent Williams, no one's doing great. Overall grade for Spencer Burford was a 51.8. And per Pro Football Focus, that's 67th out of 77. For comparison's sake, Trent Williams had a 91.7, first out of 81. Uh, Aaron Banks had a 59.5, 48th of 77. Jake Brendel, 62.9, 20th of 36. So they're, Aaron, you know, those offensive linemen, none of them individually were great. I mean, you go down the list and you look at uh, run blocking. 49, 54. They're all in the yellows, the oranges, the ambers. Not really where you want to be. Trent Williams is in the the blues, which is the elite. Not necessarily a fair comparison. Now, you look at Colton McKivitz, and I don't know if this is overall grade, but his overall pass block grade is 85.9. That's really solid. Run blocking, 57.7. Not great, but right around the same as every other player on this offensive line outside of Trent Williams. So, it's weird. It's like uh, taking as individuals, the offensive line looks like it would be some sort of a liability over the course of the season. They played well. They did well. Even when it comes to run blocking on football outsiders, adjusted line yardage line, you know, as far as how that play was blocked up from an offensive line's perspective, the 49ers ranked fourth, uh, in terms of running back yards, the 49ers ranked fourth, um, they didn't run a whole lot of power, so their ranking there was pretty low. Um, stuffed percentage, how many of the runs were absolutely stuffed? The 49ers ranked all the way down in at least the bottom third of the NFL. They don't have them numbered like that. So, you know, whether it was run blocking or pass blocking, the 49ers were pretty solid last year from an offensive line's perspective. But when you look at their individual grades, now pro football focus is by no means the Bible, but you wouldn't expect them to be good, but they were pretty good. Now, you're losing Mike McGlinchey, who, contrary to everybody's belief, and even my own, you know, he was better than I think we gave him credit for. Not necessarily contrary to belief. Obviously, a guy that goes and kind of sets the market as a tackle and gets, what, like $18 million a year, um, you're doing something right. He was a great run blocker, a mediocre pass blocker, but somebody that maybe will come to miss depending on how Colton McKivitz plays. But you're looking at this offensive line and you're saying, what I found myself always saying was, is any team in the NFL, any defensive team, any defense in the NFL afraid of this offensive line? Well, they're afraid of one of them. That's for sure. Everybody is. But everybody else would probably be seen as a, an average matchup or an easy matchup. One thing nobody likes to talk about, they all like to blame a backup tight end. But against the Eagles, the 49ers gave up like a, like like 60. They gave up pressure on like 60-something percent of the time, which is not good. Obviously, the Eagles defensive front is outstanding, and one of those players is now a member of the 49ers. They were giving up pressure like crazy. That's why Rock Purdy got hurt, and that's why Josh Johnson got hurt too. So. It's hard to know, you know, like our offensive lines measured against other against elite groups, you know, well, they couldn't hold up to the Eagles. So that must mean they suck. Well, the Eagles are really good. So where, where's the 49ers offensive line fall in the grand scheme of things? I think if any of these players take a step backwards, you may have a problem. It's probably more, it's the word I'm looking for here, presumable that they will get better. They're getting another year together. A rookie is, you know, one of them was a rookie. He is now a second-year player. That's a, a massive amount of experience in Spencer Burford. 
Colton McKivitz is now going to start getting reps consistently. Colton McKivitz was okay at times. His overall grade is a 69.4. That's starting to get towards the green color. It's above average. And he did that sporadically, stepping in for injured players, stepping in for Trent Williams, stepping in for um, Mike McGlinchey. Maybe now that he's going to get consistent reps as a starter and be able to get in that mindset as I'm the guy and this is my job, no one's going to take it from me. It wouldn't surprise me if there was a massive jump up in Colton McKivitz. Now, and here's one more kind of, um, you know, if you're looking for a reason to feel good about Colton McKivitz, John Lynch said they were trying to trade Mike McGlinchey last offseason. So they felt good enough. They knew they weren't going to re-sign Mike McGlinchey. So they were like, let's get something for him. But a team that wants to win isn't just going to ship off their starting offensive linemen without feeling pretty damn good about the players behind them. So the 49ers would have been happy with Colton McKivitz all last season if they would have successfully traded McGlinchey. So that should give you a little bit of help, a little bit of faith that they have, that they've seen something in McKivitz that they're, they're happy with. So the way you, if you want a, a glass half full approach to an offensive lineman, Individually, it's just okay. As a group, they were pretty solid. And I think it's safe to assume that they can or will improve going into this season. They'll have another offseason together. They had an entire season together. I think you can feel okay about this offensive line. Are you thinking about them as a strong part of the team like we did in kind of the 49ers in the, uh, the offensive line in the Harbaugh era? No, I don't think they've earned that. I also apologize if that was a voice crack. That'd be pretty funny. But I don't think that they're bad. And last year, we were really saying, look, is this offensive line going to be the Achilles heel of what should be a great team? And they weren't. They were solid. They might have been the worst position group, but every position group was great, and the offensive line was just good. So... I think that's probably a pretty fair descriptor of the 49ers offensive line. They're just good. They're just good. And you've got some depth that was added that I haven't even talked about yet. You've got some depth that was added that kind of helps this group out. You've got another year of Jalen Moore. He's going into his third year. You know, he could play both guard and tackle. You've got Jason Poe, who was a very interesting rookie. This guy's only 6'1", but he's 300 pounds. He could be a surprise introduction into a competition we'll see what he does um they added i mean nick zakelj is a guy that is going into his second year 6'5 316 pounds might be somebody that kind of insert himself at the very least as a competent backup and somebody that can move around um, they signed matt Pryor, five-year player 6'7 332 pounds They've got some. Uh, they've got some players on here that can help alleviate some of the pre- uh, some of the pressure. John Feliciano is a guy that can step in at guard or center and be okay. You've got a few veteran players back there. The depth along the 49ers' offensive line is better than it has been in the past. So, if any one of these offensive linemen are either struggling or knock on wood get injured, you've got some players that can step in and. The online won't be exposed, vulnerable. It's it's an interesting group. I don't have a ton of confidence, but I'm also not down on it. And I've always placed a huge amount of emphasis in continuity. And four out of the five of these of this of this group are coming back for at least their second year together. And then you've got Colton McKivitz, who's been with the team for for a few years three years and is now finally getting the opportunity to start. So we'll see what he can put together. It's a decent amount of pressure, but at the same time there, you're also empowering somebody. You're saying, Hey man, we let Mike McGlinchey walk. We're going with you. And that can change the way someone approaches what they do. So it's an interesting group. And I mean, I probably said that four or five times and I'm, I'm just excited to see, uh, what, how they play and, um, should be interesting. Should be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's almost like my brain wants to say, hold up, Rob, like, hold on. Like, 
It's, I'm not even saying anything that positive, but I still have some type of inclination to like pump the brakes. But again, they were solid last year, and I would ex- think it's a fair expectation for them to get a little bit better this year. So let's wait and see. All right, tight end. I think that completes the offense. We did the backfield. We did quarterbacks and running backs. We've done wide receivers. We did tight ends and offensive lines. So the next time we jump on here, uh, next week, not only will be training camp starting, I believe rookies report. Let me get you guys' this information. 49ers rookies report. Did uh, Two days ago, the 49ers rookies reported, and then the veterans will report Tuesday, July 25th. So we're there. I mean, the next time I record this pod, it'll be training camp will just will have just started. So there may be we might take a step back into two episodes uh, a week. We, we may be getting there. I think when training camp comes back, we're back to two episodes a week. So that may be next week. That may be the week after. We'll see if I feel like I've got anything to talk about. You know, with training camp starting, maybe there's a uh, an extension coming down the pipe for a certain 49er. We'll see. Um but anyways, y'all know how it is. Training camp next week, and I've I've said to you guys so many times, to me and like the way I feel about the NFL, when training camp starts, it's it, it it's like the season starting. We're getting news, we're getting reactions, we're getting re- practice reports. Just feels like all right, here we go. So exciting times. Also, don't be a douchebag that buys your ten dollar training camp ticket that's going to charity and then trying to resell it on the open market. Don't be a douche. One, it's charity. Two, leave that ticket for somebody that actually wants to attend. Man, whatever. I don't know why I'm surprised. It is what it is. All right, everybody. I love you. Thank you for listening to Strike and Gold. Thank you for making this podcast what it is. Please, if you uh, if you have a spare 30 seconds to a minute, jump on whatever platform you're, you're listening to this on. Leave us a positive review. Um, if you feel like we've earned it, but again, just you being here listening, especially at minute 48 is the ultimate show of support. So I appreciate you guys. We'll be back in on here next week, either early or your standard Thursday recording for a Friday release. We'll see. Uh, if you're in the central Valley, please do your absolute best to stay cool. Uh, keep hydrating. And that goes for no matter where you are always hydrate. Um, but for another episode, as you know, you know how it is. All good things must come to an end. And for another week, I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold. And we're signing out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.